Welcome to the 3v3 Podcast, a weekly look at the world of hockey with your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Pat. Um, <clears throat> ahem. Ahem. So, you did not avoid question of the week, Mr. Clark, no matter how many times you tried to. <laughs> we did my kicked best, the so. can. We kicked the can down the road. So, what trade in NHL history would you undo? And since you've been since you've been avoiding it, you get to go first. And if you don't, there's just going to be a lot of awkward silence. <laughs> Gretzky to the Kings. Really? Yes, I would. What for? Um, it created a false narrative in that it built up hockey in these non-traditional markets when I think population trends and growth patterns, these new markets were coming anyway. And given that the Kings were already an established franchise, you know, pretty well on, uh, you know, I guess 20, 20 to 30 years around the time of the trade, um, I would have liked to seen him go somewhere else. Because he was getting moved out of Edmonton one way or the other. Right. I'm just curious to see what would have happened if the market wasn't L.A. Hmm. Say he ends up in Minnesota. There are no Dallas Stars, potentially. Huh. Interesting. Not, not the one I thought you would have gone for. I'm I'm curious to think what direction do you think I was heading? I don't I don't know honestly I don't I I, I know you're in a, a um you're a, um how do I put this a confirmed Gretzky denier. Ah <laughs> uh, no I just put someone up over him. <laughs> um, you're an anti Gretzite. <laughs> I. I I blame Nintendo. Oh. <laughs> when it comes down to it, I blame Nintendo. I could never play as, as Gretzky in any of the games, you know? Oh, that's right. Because <laughs> they didn't have all the NHLPA stuff set up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But no, take take away the quote-unquote biggest trade in NHL history and let's see how the dominoes fall. Because what's more chaotic than that? <laughs> <laughs> that is such an awesome maniacal laugh. <laughs> maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. So I guess that means it's my turn. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to be I'm going to be time biased and do something that's within my lifetime. Or hockey fandom even. Uh, I would undo the Lindros Forsberg trade, which, which twenty three years later the... still going strong. Yes, seriously. So Philly would have won a cup, is what you're telling me. Uh, I'm saying that Colorado would have not won a cup, not won their two cups. Probably would not have gotten um, Wa or um, like Rebork. Um, Philly would have been in an interesting place because that's, you know, you have, you, you keep six players because remember, it wasn't just a one-for-one trade. It was Lindros for Forsberg and six other, and five other players. (laughs) And Uh, money. And money and future considerations. Um, I guess I guess the I was looking at trade trees a while ago when this question was asked. Um, I guess the Philly side of things petered out last year or t- 2017. That's that's when everything derived from that trade has petered out. But Colorado has like two picks next year in the draft that still somehow are connected to this trade. So it's still going. (laughs) And then on top of that, I mean, it touched every single team in the NHL. And then the pure drama of Eric Lindros playing for a French-Canadian team 
or not oh, playing was, for a French yeah. Canadian team. It's a case he was he was never going to Quebec. Right. Um, I mean, he was going to sit that one out. So who? Where would he have gone? And what? What would have? You know, I mean, if the return was six players, including Peter Forsberg, who was a how a highly touted prospect at that time. So it wasn't like, I mean, you know, he was like sixth overall in the 91 draft or something. And, you know, and then five other guys and future considerations and money. It's like what other team would have given that up for Lindros to go there? Well, you remember it. The Rangers had a deal in principle with the Flyers as well. And it went to arbitration over who actually effectively won the deal. Right. Whether it was the Flyers or the Rangers. So, you know, it's it's funny that outside of Colorado, Lindros ended up playing for one of the teams who was in that Lindros trade sweepstake. But, yeah. Yeah. Because what <laughs> was it? It was... Um, oh, God. Not the trade tree? Do you want to know who he was traded for? All right, I, ha- I have the full list of names here. <laughs> oh, it was Nem- it was Nemchinov, Amante Kovalev, James Patrick, and v- Van Beesbrook or Richter. Oh, that was As- that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that that was their offer. So you undo that, and he goes to New York. New York doesn't win a cup in '94. because you know Richter and um Nemchinov and Kovalev are gone mm-hmm. specifically Richter they don't mm-hmm. they don't yeah. have a Richter so yeah. yeah and then the other interesting thing is would there have been a potential Montreal trade with New York because I think if Lindros doesn't go to Philly and Jocelyn Thibault isn't drafted by the Nordiques is he involved in the Patrick Watt trade? Right. See? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you wondered at my evil laugh. <laughs> oh, that I mean, is just as far as the number of dominoes. That oh, no, it's huge. Af- after a single trade. Yeah, like you said, that one's, you know. The, it's still the, going. <laughs> that, is, that is the epitome of the pebble in the water and the ripples just, you know, the concentric Butterfly circles. effect. Kind of, Yeah. I'll, I'll say um, it right now. If it weren't for that trade, Carolina would no longer have a franchise. Yep. Because oh, at that point, God. as we talked about in past episodes, you know, Rod Brendamore is not traded. Carolina yeah. likely never wins their cup. Yeah. And so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, for that reason alone, Eric Eric Lindros should have gone into the Hall of Fame as a builder because he built <laughs> seriously by refusing to play in Quebec. Oh, oh my, my god. god! Yeah. Okay. So so looking at this trade tree for the first time in ages, mm-hmm. it warms my heart to see Sammy Paulson's name on here. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, the yes, only I... redeemable thing about some of those Ducks teams was Sammy Paulson from the early aughts. From the early aughts, back in the early aughties. His name was Sammy Paulson. The only reference I'll ever mention from that movie. Because everything else is garbage. Well, as as I didn't go nearly as grandiose, I went closer to my heart. And anybody sings that rush song, I will come through the speakers and punch them. Um, (laughs) They have more than one song. That's and good. They have way better. They have way better songs than that. Anyway, um, it is not the Patrick Watt trade, as a lot of people always assume with me. No, 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 no. It was the one before that which really started everything falling apart in Montreal. It's Eric Desjardins and John Leclerc for Mark Recchi. Oh, and, it, and it and it wasn't just those two guys. It was Gilbert Dion. Leclerc, mm-hmm. Desjardins, and Dion for Recky and a third-round draft pick. They effectively threw the last vestiges of the 93 Cup team over to Philadelphia in exchange for Mark Recky. <laughs> because... You don't think Mark Recky was worth it? 
not those three guys. <laughs> no. And you, you, a, a, you had a, go ahead. You know, as I was just gonna say, you had the literally the two reasons that they went on that amazing run were John LeClaire's overtime wins and playoffs that year in ninety three and Eric Desjardins scoring the hat trick in the game, the Stanley Cup final game with the Marty McSorley illegal curve. Because they were down and out in that game until that penalty was called and Eric Desjardins scored the three goals to get him the win. Mm-hmm. And they and Desjardins was the last solid uh, blue liner they had from that 93 team because Matthew Schneider and Chris Chelios were gone. So a, a, a blue line that was already decimated by those two leaving was left with Desjardins, and Desjardins being gone opened the floodgates, which we saw later that year, specifically in December, a nine-goal shellacking of one Patrick Waugh, who then demanded a trade. So, butterfly effect. Now, Recky was not a bust in Montreal, but his career, if he had been playing with John LeClaire, that's a devastating duo except for that time in pittsburgh but no one likes to talk about that. <laughs> well well yeah but you look at that time in pittsburgh it's largely because what did he have wingers yeah and, and also i joke because leclerc was on his last legs at that point of his career but i mean philly doesn't make their uh 1997 run to the the cup final without oh, either no. Leclerc or Desjardins. Right. Yeah. That legion. I mean, exactly. They, you know, legion oh. of doom. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was the, to me, that was like, you know, they were, they were teetering. Montreal was kind of teetering after losing Schneider and, and, and Chelios and a couple other little missteps here and there. But that was just, you know, you're sitting there sort of balanced on a razor, a razor's edge, balanced on a razor's edge, and somebody went, and that razor just tipped right the hell over, and that franchise is not recovered. Because how long did they go looking for goaltenders afterwards? They lost their franchise goalie because they got rid of all of that upfront defensive, and kaboom, 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 you know. And they get Jocelyn Tebow. They overcompensated for a franchise goalie. Right. Right. They spent more time trying to find that perfect franchise goalie. You know, they ran Jose Theodore down to the ground and then out of town. And Jocelyn Thibault because of Eric Lindros. <laughs> right. See, so, yeah, I mean, you could ostensibly say that the Lindros trail the Lindros trade begat the the Desjardins trade begat the Patrick Waugh trade. You just are fighting for your Lindros trade as being like worst <laughs> in history. He yeah, really should it's probably not like it's probably up there, but I don't think it's probably the biggest one. Well, so I'm looking at the tree, one rendition of the trade tree, and it's clearly incomplete. Because the last two names, kind of towards the end of it, are Brian Leach and Sergey Samsonov. Yeah, that's not complete. That is definitely not complete, and I'm not seeing any others that go this far in depth. So that tree may still be moving on today because one player drafted, and he appears to be the only active player, and saying active is a bit of a stretch is um, Milan Lucic. Mm. Oh, crap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like active being a stretch. <laughs> he is actively being paid by an NHL franchise to place a uniform upon his person at fixed intervals. While actually still being on the ice at times. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, I, I didn't want to go that far simply because I've seen players get parked for entire games. So, oh, yeah. 
that could be dressed literally just to fill the mandated roster size for that night, and the guy just never gets off the bench, which I think San Jose did that once. Yeah. They don't do that very often anymore, but yeah. No, they don't. Oh, yeah. God, I hated that topic, but I loved going back and revisiting all the... What's the word I want to use? Not despair. (laughs) So so much as as animus. Well... It's it's like one of the first times I think I went through the seven stages <laughs> mm. when it came to hockey fandom. So so someone had posted in uh, when was this? Like I had to get to the bottom of it because it was like freaking hugely long. Um, a year ago, roughly a year ago, uh, the on HF boards, which you know is still a yeah. thing apparently. <clears throat> Someone had come up with a complete list of 729 players who were moved in trades with direct connection to the Lindros deal. <laughs> they wrote down the entire freaking list of seven a year ago, 729 players. And then they wrote down the list of, of future draft picks that, uh, in the 2018 and 2019 draft. And then they actually went through the entire trade tree in bullet point form rather than actually as a tree. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. For each like- individual player that, that was traded. And, uh, oh, look, Ponic. Um, <laughs> Ponic? Good God. Oh, look, Evander Kane. Uh, I like that. Peter Forsberg never traded, left as a UFA. <laughs> That's where his trade tree ends right there. Boom. <laughs> Done. Um, then they, so they, they, uh, Kerry Hoff, Hoffman never traded, lost on waivers. Mike Ricci was part of that. Speaking of Ricci, yeah. um, Jocelyn Thibault, who was at that point a draft pick. Uh, future considerations equaled Chris Simon, by the okay. way. Um, so I'm trying to find, I, I swear that there's like a 2020 um, draft pick going on with this. Oh, and there is. There's five. Five? Steve DeShane resulted in a third round draft 2020 draft pick to Ottawa. So that's still alive. Um, Deshane like got the most mileage out of this. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Steve. I, yeah. Steve Duchesne was just one of those that I'd wake up every start of a hockey season and go, Oh, there he is. He's on that yeah. team now. Um, so then, then Philly also gets a Philadelphia also gets a third round twenty twenty pick. <laughs> it all comes full circle. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a Braden Shen. I guess there's only two. There's only two. There's an Ottawa pick in twenty twenty, and there's a Philly pick in twenty twenty that are still alive out of the uh, Lindros, Forsberg, and all trail trade. So, yeah. God. That's still going. <laughs> and they say there is no such thing as perpetual motion machine. I know, right? <laughs> it's the Eric Lindros trade. <laughs> it just never ends. <laughs> once, it, once, that, once that thing was kicked off, it's never going to stop. Jesus. Okay. Well, that was a good show. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Because nothing else has happened in hockey since the last time we talked. Mm. Mm. Okay, so let me, let's do a happy one. You heard about the Anna Kendrick one, right? What happened on Christmas? Did you hear about this on Twitter? No. <gasps> so I, I did because I had to go look up who she was. So Anthony Bovillier from the New York Islanders, who was 22... 
just tweeted hi Anna Kendrick at her Twitter account. And so people being who they are, people love setting up others, playing matchmaker. Apparently there was this whole thread after that about his his um, supposed exploits and what a great guy he is. Like, you know, performing open heart surgery, I appreciate it. Or, you know, annual shelter to save, you know, fundraiser to save puppies at the shelter. And, and just like, you know, creating these like, fantastical, this is what a great guy he is things to try to sell him to her. And she's what, 34? Um, so she she finally tweeted back, gen- generally, she said, these replies have been my entertainment for the last two days. Thank you all for regaling me with the true tales of this man's heroism. <laughs> the, when the internet plays wingman, and, and yes. there's like some... There were, um, I think Bruno Gervais, former Islander, got in on it too. Oh yeah, no, I, there were like Rangers fans that were trying to help this guy out. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> he's, Bo seems to be like, a, you know, I like the one that said, uh, he speaks French. You know, they're they're listing his salary, you know, his age. He's, you know, he'll probably ring the bell and get a big R, you know, big contract. And well, those are the French. people being like, like honest. And then you had the people who were like, oh, you yeah. know, he he ran into a burning building and saved all the dogs and all the children. And then, and then all these he, kittens. Yeah, and then he went to, you know, a, a fundraiser that night for something, and and that was just you know twenty four hours. Yeah. In his life, kind of thing. Those those were the best, you know. I rescued rescued those kittens from the shelter after a hurricane hit, and then swam all the way to Florida with them on your back. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I just I did love that everyone was playing wingman for him. You know? Yeah, it's like everybody everybody loves a love story. They they want to be a part of it, and they they were just like trying to help a guy out. Yeah. So good, good kid, good good player, good player. Yeah, yeah. Took a shot. Can't blame well, him for that. <laughs> as, as Pat's like trying to dredge out his uh, Twitter account and read every, all the replies. <laughs> I I am taking a look now. <laughs> Ooh, I think this might be longer than the Lindros tree tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was pretty funny. So anyway, that happened on Christmas, and then she replied Friday. So this is the Sunday after Christmas is when we're recording um, this episode. But yeah, so it was cute. It'll be interesting to see if anything comes of that after that, like if they actually just meet or not. But yeah. If she shows up at an Islanders game, hopefully, yeah. the right, hopefully one at the right venue. <laughs> yeah. So. We can't we can't have her we can't have her out on Long Island when they're playing in Brooklyn that night. Well she'll probably go see him at MSG or something. <laughs> I, I had no idea who she was, but the speaking of ripple effects, apparently there was an organist at the um first game they played after that whole thing went down who was playing songs of hers throughout mm-hmm. the entire game. <laughs> It's cute. <laughs> so, yeah, I yeah. was. It was. It was funny because I would. I um. It wasn't funny. It was coincidentally humorous. I was trying to explain to my wife that, um, I think a lot of that probably started because PK Subban. That's how he met Lindsey Vaughn, kind of. Right. Right. You know, it was he. He just sort of took his shot at the ESPYS, was mm-hmm. bigging her up on the red carpet and stuff, and. So, yes, I'm speaking of that whole Christmas Yuletide thing. You guys down with this Christmas break? Three whole glorious days for some teams. Two days. Uh, Part of me says yes. Part of me says no. Um, I honestly, on the 26th, I could have used something <laughs> to do. Needed a fix. Did your hands yeah. start shaking because you're in withdrawal. <laughs> you got any of that hockey, man? 
I didn't need a hit, man. <sighs> Something other than the IHF, because that's on its stupid hours. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I haven't. I haven't watched a second of World Juniors, um, mainly because I don't have a cable package. And... Hmm. You spent no time watching the World J. And I used to love that stuff and, you know, could avoid getting caught up in, you know, controversies over who did and didn't wear a helmet during a certain something or mm-hmm. whatever pettiness, you know, teenagers bring out of grown adult white men. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, no, I could use something. Um <laughs> I feel like a two-day break would be good, although the um, the first few games, those Friday night games, were highly entertaining because they were sloppy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can't complain too much. Oh, you can always complain. It's just a matter of whether people tell you to shut up or not. Well, <laughs> the answer is yes. They always will. Yes. Uh, but do, do I have a case that everyone will ignore? That's the that's the real test. I don't I, know. I'm I'm in I want to say indifferent to it, but it's not even that. It's this weird thing. I mean, they they haven't played a game on Christmas Day since I was like 2 years old. So I never really knew about it anyway. It's just become part of the thing that they sort of vacate for two to three days and then it comes back and like you said Vat, those first games back tend to, those first games back tend to be a bit um, chaotic and that sort of brings a level of entertainment up because <laughs> I've got family you know I had family up here um, who aren't big hockey fans and Friday uh, I was sitting here watching a few of the games and just that utter chaos was entertaining to them because they're basketball and football largely. And that's what they were watching, you know, on Christmas day and Christmas Eve and all that crap. Um, But I had the NHL app out on the TV in the living room area and was just watching one of the games for a bit while I was doing dishes because I'm that kind of guy. And, and my brother-in-law is like, is it always like this? And I had to go, uh, not always. <laughs> it can be, but no. He's like, this is insane. It's because it just seemed to be end-to-end chaos. It's the mistakes that always make it so entertaining. Well, that's And that goes back to a point that I know Mr. Clark has made a number of times is getting coaching out. <laughs> getting rid of the coaching because over coaching leads to this kind of crap and that's kind of where we're at, right? Mm-hmm. You can't have any fun if you're always, you know, good stick, good stick and all that kind of I I want to swear so bad and I'm not going to stuff. <laughs> Be nice if, you know, head coaches' contracts had, you know, offensive-based incentives instead of, you know, this flat rate. No, but that would would make it worse, though, because the whole point of them, like, trying to make, trying to clean things up and make it more sterile, technically, is they're trying to win. And so that means, like, being very technical on how they're coaching and, because in a coach's mind, at least it seems like it in the NHL, they they seem to think that the, the, the tighter, better, cleaner a team plays, the more likely they're going to win. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe not. But the truth of the matter is, is that you get boring hockey that way, and that's not terribly entertaining. And you are part of the entertainment industry, and so maybe you're kind of misplacing your purpose here. <laughs> You know, but again, if you want to keep your job, you have to win. And so that's what they think winning gets them to winning. Defense wins championships. A good def or good offense starts from a good defense. You know, how many times do you hear that? Yeah, but see, nobody cares about defense until you get to the playoffs. 
<laughs> All right, so let me throw let me throw this at you. When is a team on defense? Well, when the uh, opposing team has possession. Yes, and when is no. a team on offense? No, no, hold on. When is a team on offense? When that team has possession. Yeah. If you were to ask that to 31 NHL head coaches, I think you would get that answer from maybe three. Mm-hmm. Because they get lost in the minutia of how to do something. Well, it was like I, I tweeted last night, and I know, Patrick, you saw this because you liked it. <laughs> was, I, huh? I could have been drunk. I don't know. <laughs> So, so my it was a two two part tweet, two tweets. Um, sometimes there's a difference between a team's most talented lineup and their most successful lineup. The most successful lineup is the group that plays the best together, but that doesn't always mean that includes all of their most talented players available. That can change around over the course of a season. Of course, sometimes talent and success coincide, and sometimes they don't. But it always amazes me how coaches stubbornly stick to the most talented lineup is the most successful thinking no matter what. Because they're all chickens and they're afraid to bench their top players. <laughs> there's there's that, but <laughs> um so I'm gonna run off on a tangent really quick here. Oranges have nothing to do with this. That's a very old joke. Um mm. Sharks first game back, they get summarily, I don't want to say walked, but they got walked in the third period by the Kings, who eventually won the game in overtime in a game the Kings had no business winning. Bob Bugner comes out in the press conference post game and basically says it's hard to win when there's three or four guys who aren't playing and you know the your two 40-year-olds are your best players on the ice. So he's, I mean... He drove that bus, backed it up, <laughs> drove it again, lined it back, up, backed <laughs> it up, opened the doors and let people get on, drove it over again, backed up to pick up a couple of people that were left at the bus stop, and drove it over them again, and and hinted in fairly strong terms <clears throat> that some players would likely not see the ice the next game, the following mm-hmm. night, Friday. Mm-hmm. Or Saturday night, um, to which I had the running commentary joke of Bob got on the phone and said, "Hey DW, can you get me a couple of of scoring player, you know, scoring wingers from the AHL? I want to sit a couple of guys." And got no response from from DW. And he said, "Hello, Doug." No response from DW. Doug, I can hear you breathing. <laughs> And then Doug, in a falsetto voice, says, I'm sorry, Mr. Boogner. Doug's not in his office right now. Would you like to hold? <laughs> because some teams do not have anything in the cupboard to go to. So there are certain cases where they literally can't sit these guys because they have no moves to make that aren't going to drastically impair their team. And in some cases, Toronto... They can't because they are just bouncing off the salary cap like a rev limiter in a Honda. <laughs> just bah, 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 bah. You know, when somebody forgets to shift out of first on a manual. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, okay, so I'm not even talking about that so much as you have a guy that's out that's injured. The team is playing, and he's a top player. The team is playing fantastically without him. So you take out one of the um, bubble guys, you put him in, and the team starts losing. What do you do? You leave him in there because he's your top guy, one of your top guys. One, because supposedly talent is what brings you success. And two, because your GM's breathing down your neck and the fans are for not having the top guys in your lineup. And three, you're too much of a coward to actually stick with the lineup that's winning, regardless of who's in it. So you end up going on a losing streak because you added this this player who upset 
the flow of how people were clicking and and being able, you know, playing together. And you can't take them out because either you don't have the imagination to realize that you need to take them out or you just are afraid to. So, <laughs> so mean, just just go ahead and say it's the Solani Korea effect in Colorado. Or even um, Crosby and Malkin. It's like when one of those guys is out of the lineup, the other guy is like picking it up and playing amazingly. So what you're saying is Crosby and Malkin both need to be healthy so they can turn into the team they actually are? No. I cannot I'm saying that one of those guys needs to go because the other guy plays better without them in the lineup. And it's clearly <laughs> Sidney Crosby. He must be traded now. You make good Canadian boy Sidney Crosby. I'm sorry. Everyone. Are you, I think you're listening to the wrong podcast. <laughs> Everyone goes to Toronto. Everyone needs to get traded. Yeah, see, Crosby wants to go to Montreal, though, because he's a Montreal guy. Well, that's because the NHL hasn't expanded to Cole Harbor yet. Well, I mean, <laughs> the Maritimes tend to be fans of the closest NHL team, which happens to be Montreal. So. Yeah. Or disillusioned souls, but um, hey, <laughs> only I get to take those kinds of digs in Montreal. They know not what they what they have. Um, they know not what they need to do. <laughs> they 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 know not. Um, so anyway, that was kind of yeah. I mean, that was that was my little thing last night. I was flipping through games and stuff and looking at scores, and I'm just like, huh. <laughs> Well, yeah, you could also take that guy out of the lineup. They'd probably do much better. <laughs> you could, you could kind of almost say the the uh, inverse is also true because you look at Mike Babcock, who would not um, ice the roster that his GM effectively wanted him to, because his GM said, "We can argue whether it's right or wrong based on the on the records and crap and the coaching, but." I don't know how many times you'd listen to other podcasts or even just watch. Leafs games and go, why is that guy in the lineup? When you've got another guy who plays a similar role, but better, right? Because like I continue to say, it's all about archetypes. You find the archetypes for the roles. Or mm -hmm. you, find, you find your archetypes and then find the players to fit those. And he just kept trotting out this slow-footed, hackneyed-type lower end of their roster, so... Well, I mean, this is Vegas. This is the story of Vegas for their inaugural season, is that McPhee put together a team that didn't have necessarily star power outside of Flurry, but at the time, because, I mean, now they have Pacioretty and, you know, whatever. But, um, but he put together a team that would play well together, and they were successful because they played well together, not because he could get more talent. Let me pose this question to you, since you brought up Mike Bab Babcock. Is he a coach or is he a strategist? When it comes down I to think he, I think he's a strategist. I think he's, I think he is so wrapped up in attempting to play chess on hockey on a hockey rink and you know at trying to outthink himself because the the more i hear and it's this is not i don't we don't want to i don't want to revisit the whole you know his techniques for motivation um but just hearing some of the other stories that have come out about him and then also reading Craig Custance's book he overthinks overthinking to the point that I don't think he coaches. I think he just sits there and, and looks at strategies that need to be applied in certain scenarios and attempts to apply them. He's like a person who who is a Civil War historian hobbyist who replays battles over and over by switching certain elements out and certain elements in, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or, or World War II, whatever war you feel like, you know, doing, but. Yeah, the, there are, 
and right or wrong, there are there are those people out there that just you know love to to think that everything you know the military strategies and things can be applied elsewhere, and not recognizing that they can't <laughs> because you know the the rules of combat as gray as they've gotten over time are still kind of there. Whereas the rules of hockey are even grayer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and I'm not just talking about the, you know, like the officiating, just hockey itself is chaos incarnate. Um, nah, he just always, after all this stuff started coming out and me sort of digging back through the, cobwebs of my mind just going back to that what was it 03 in Anaheim when they made that magic cup run on the back of getting jiggy with it part of it also was and then this this leads to the mystique of him as a head coach was just the amount of line matching and and strategy based things that he did during that run to get them there you know, you can't get there without Jaguar, but on top of it, the, the cherry on top of the Sunday, so to speak, was his constant line matching, his constant use of you know specific defensive pairs, and he just fought tooth and nail to get matchups he wanted all the time to play into that strategy. And that always leads me back to those guys, you know, um, like Keenan and... Um, even Hartley did this to a certain degree that were just that just over strategized. You know, I have to have my third line out. It's my checking line out against the first line. You know, my fourth liners have, you know, get out there once a period just to go crash and bang to give my top three lines a rest. And I don't think that's coaching so much as it is just applying strategies. So or just basically yeah. management. I mean, let's yeah. do like baseball and just call them managers and then a general manager and, a, you know, admiral manager for the new president of hockey operations or whatever <laughs> Brendan Shanahan is. Let's give them ambiguous titles. Have a little more fun with it. Rear, but, rear no. admiral. <laughs> <laughs> Vice admiral Shanahan. and Oh, the, those titles would last for a year until someone in the league figured out what they meant ambiguously. This is probably true. Um, I had another thought, and it just ran away from me, like a like a two year old at a toy store. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I had. I don't want to talk hockey because the Edmonton Oilers just are making me also very sad. They should be the antithesis of what good hockey is, and they're just are. My, my, my poor. My poor beloved Octoon baby is just not looking good the last four games. But it's not all McDavid at all. It's oh, all McDavid. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, Mark Spector. <laughs> Wait, yeah. I mean, I haven't read the piece, but are you telling me he was the one that wrote that? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it probably was. Let's be honest. I do. If you if if you had to if you had to play odds, I'd say nine to five. He wrote it. I don't know because he's generally one of the first ones that takes shots across the bow like that. And it's and I will not disagree that his positioning. I mean, you see him out of position on some defensive plays that end up in the back of their net. But come on, you know. There is four other guys out there that were also out of position. He just happened to be the one that was out of position on the guy who ended up scoring. (laughs) What are you going to do? Continue to just acknowledge the fact that his entire is gaslighting, is clickbaiting, his entire... Reporting no. is just that. Yeah. No. Yeah. I know. I know. It's strange to say in 2019, you thought we, you thought we would have eradicated it by now. <laughs> Not in Edmonton. 
Some <laughs> might say he's being a good soldier for his employee. Yeah. Because, you know. He's, he's driving traffic? Yeah, all that militaristic stuff that just creeps into sports is way out of place and kind of out of oh, line. God. Yeah. 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 There's that too. Um, yeah. Okay. So, it, yeah. In looking at the magical device that allows us to seek out information in real time, it was Mark Spector. <laughs> so, yes. Now, if I can just hit the trifecta. Um, and then. A guy that. <laughs> there was a really good piece written by a guy who I had a conversation with on Friday night because I had done. Um, I have a model that actually shows uh, NHL drafting success by franchise over like the last 20 years. And it. You know, I'm still tweaking it here and there. Goaltenders are still a bit of a, a, a voodoo on how do you quantify certain aspects of of gold of goaltenders. Uh, I'll let you have that. Picks. Well, they are because you could draft a person and their entire point in life is to be a backup goaltender. So, uh, gauging a model that fits, you know, their projected outcome versus what they actually attain is, is a bit difficult in that. Defense and forwards, obviously, fairly easy. Um, but he and I got in this conversation, and I kept pushing him further back. He goes, God, the Sharks haven't drafted good in, like, the last two years. And I go, go back further. Go back further. Go back further. And he's like, oh, my God, it started when Doug Wilson started. And I said, yes, it did. And he actually, he did a really good job of breaking down some of the key drafts that they have had up on tealtownusa.com. Um, his name is Andy Mann. It was actually a, a, a pretty balanced piece overall. It wasn't just like the, you know, when you start down sometimes on those, on those, fan, um, on those fan sites, those fan blogs, sometimes they get real knives out and vicious. But, you know, he did a, he did a really nice job balancing the disappointment of these drafts with the good aspects of what Doug Wilson has done as a GM. And I will not take umbrage with too much of that, but I've always had the, the, the notion of every draft you have to get one NHL player out of, at least one, for your franchise to have any sustainability. And if you don't, you're hosed. And that bears out over time. Look how far back um, St. Louis completely refused to draft in the early 80s. Because they weren't even technically a franchise when the draft happened. The Purina um, company didn't want anything to do with the franchise. They would not. They just opted out of the draft. And it took them probably 15 years to recover. You know. Other teams have completely missed on every single draft pick in a round, and it took them 10 or 15 years to recover. So, you you know, the bills come and do on some of these franchises that have not done well in drafting, and you can't call it the mushy middle because everyone's been in the mushy middle at some point, and they managed to get their way out. Well, I mean, some, by some teams, like, some GMs just see the draft as just... A thing you do rather than something you utilize <laughs> you know there's kind of a difference in mentality with that uh just a little bit but um i mean they don't prioritize it is basically the story for one reason or another whether they they did they're dismissive of you know developing prospects when they would rather just trade for people or or whatever or they're just they, they're clueless. It's it's hard to say for some of these guys, but, um, you know, I mean, so many teams just don't prioritize the draft as being meaningful 
to their organization that it's just kind of frightening, really. And you just, and that's mind boggling to me because especially with today's salary cap crap going on, and I'll continue to use the Sharks as an example because they are the glaring example of this. They've got three defensemen well over the age, well, two defensemen over the age of 30 and one who's going to, who's, you know, at 30's doorstep locked up to massive contracts for up to eight more years. And they've got nothing in the system to replace them with. And in today's salary cap age, you look at the teams that win those cups, what do they have? You know, you've got a core of high-priced talent, but you backfill with those draft picks, those kids that are on those ELCs that are cost-controlled for a few years that, you know, develop, that you're able to develop. And the the death spiral of San Jose and L.A. too, you know, L.A. got caught with it, um, has been hysterical to watch because of that. You know, L.A. has a better prospect pool than San Jose does. And that ought to frighten the hell out of everyone. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, as you've been describing, I've been reading through this breakdown of Wilson's history, and it's it's kind of it's kind of comical. It's damning, is really what it, it is. It really is. And let's be honest. I mean, there are teams that are picking twenty-eight to thirtieth in many of these years that did infinitely better. And yeah, it's only by hitting one or two players. Right. That's like I said. You you just need to get one NHL quality player out of every draft as a as a minimum. And San Jose can't even manage that some years. Now, whether that's by the fact that they don't have the pick because they've traded it away or their scouting and development is just so bad that some of these guys that maybe did have the ability um, to become a, you know, a good NHL player just never fully realized and you got to figure it's most of the latter because let's be honest when you're talking anywhere between you know 15 to 20 to probably 150 the margins between these players are so insignificant that right it's just right. I mean, you're miscasting players or you're just you don't know how to get them from point A to point B yeah and, and or you don't care to get them from point A to point B because yeah. some coaches are just like, you know, throw them into the lineup and see what they can do, and that's as good as it gets. <laughs> right. Dead. Um, I think it was Anthony Stewart, I think. Yeah, it was Anthony Stewart on one of the Hockey Centrals last week brought up the great point of, you know, he was up and down quite a bit with, with Atlanta and um, Carolina, and he – now, I don't remember which is which, so I'm not going to say which is which, but one franchise would send him down constantly without any instructions, and the other one would send him down and with a laundry list of things he needs to work on. Now, which do you think you know is going to help the player in the long run? You know, we need you to do this or this or this, or go down and figure your game out. You know. Mm-hmm. And I and and I hate doing this because you know again he is a fantastic man. But as an as an AHL coach, coach, and as a development system, San Jose has sucked. Roy Sommer and that, you know, the the Barracuda, all the way back from the days in Cleveland, I think. What the I don't remember what the hell the franchise was called back then. Sorry. Um, when that became their their affiliate franchise, they've sucked. And you can sit there and say, yeah, the AHL. You know, it's, you know, the players aren't meant to win. They're meant to learn how to play hockey. Well, in 20 years, you you should have backed into a Calder Cup at some point. And they've never even been close. Yep. That that speaks volumes to me. You know, I, I, I joke about the win-loss record, you know, because he's got more wins than any AHL coach in history, but he also has way more losses than any AHL coach in history. You should have backed into a Calder Cup at that point. And either they don't care about developing players at the AHL level, or they're just incompetent at it. 
Or both. <laughs> when And it may be just a little bit of A and a little bit of B. Yeah, I mean, it could just be that perfect storm of two things, you know, making exp- making something exponentially worse. Um, okay, I've, I think I've alienated enough of Montreal or enough of San Jose's fan base for today. <laughs> so how about them canes? They they do things. <laughs> um, they sure allow a lot of goals lately. Turkey legs, because they are playing turkey leg hockey. I mean, they lost three in a row before a victory against the number one team in the league uh, last night prior to prior to this recording, and yet somehow they're seventh in the league overall. I that metropolitan division is stupid. I, I can't believe it. Just crazy. I mean, I think they should just kick out, you know, teams from the Atlantic if they we just need to go back pure pure 1 through 16 east and west seeding based on points cuz mm-hmm. <laughs> that damn metro. And I mean, I, Boston's just cleaning up, you know, in their division but yeah, Toronto finally caught Florida. It's 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 just crazy. Yeah, you're when you're on a hundred and one point pace for the year, and you're still looking at a wild card spot. That tells it's, you something about ridiculous. that division. <laughs> and then and then you go and you break it down. You know, four of the five teams in leading the conference in regulation wins, all from yep. the metro. <sighs> You look at the league-wide standings, and one, two, three. Okay, three of the top ten teams are from the Metro. Sorry, Islanders. Dining out on all those OT wins. <laughs> six six hey. in the league, 14 regulation wins. Jesus. All, I, all I'm going to say, Matt Barzell. San Jose should have had. Um, <laughs> that was my outdoor voice. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Oh, where are Hockey we? is fun. It is, especially it is. at the lower levels. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, speaking of Boston, reminded me that so I just bought a, a ticket to go watch a game in Newark going to drive down to New Jersey next weekend. And uh, tickets are, gosh, about... Easy to come by? (laughs) No, actually, this game... I'm going to go see Colorado play again. And this game, um, it was actually kind of hard to get tickets. That's why I got them today instead of, like, my normal putting it off and putting it off. I'll get to it and then do it the day before. Um, But, yeah, no, this one looked like it was pretty close to being sold out. And for New Jersey especially. Uh, but yeah, seats in roughly the same place I sat in Boston a couple of weeks ago, over half less, half the price of, you know, um, I guess it's less than, I can't even think. Um, it's about half the price of the seats that I got in Boston. That doesn't surprise me. Because, you know, the... The Sean economy up there is it's pretty ridiculous when you're talking about the Bruins. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to go say the Rockies play the Nordiques, huh? Yep. It's the Nordique. There is, you don't say the S at the end. <laughs> oh, is it, is it silent much like their, uh, I won't say it. Like um, the Canadian. <laughs> Le Canadian? The Montreal. That was always fun. Um, I think we need to pull the shoot on this. <laughs> okay. Anyone got a question? I, I do. I think oh it's boy. been a few weeks since I've had one. Oh boy. And this, you oh boy. just inspired it. Oh, boy. Uh-oh. What's the one thing in hockey 
that people tend to get wrong a lot, like calling them the Nordiques. That just drives you absolutely nuts. Do we have to exclude officials? Do <laughs> <clears throat> we get the rule book wrong? They are the third team on the ice. Follow us on Twitter at 3v3 Podcast. This has been the 3v3 Podcast, sponsored by Nobody. <laughs>